Welcome to Day 2 Cloud, part of the Packet Pushers family of podcasts. On Day 2 Cloud, we have a frank discussion about what happens when cloud stops being polite and starts getting real. I am your co-host, Ethan Banks, at EC Banks on Twitter. Ned Bellavance at Ned1313 is also here, of course. And our- Good day, folks. Hey, Ned. Our guest hey. today, Carl Moberg, Senior Director of Product Management at Cisco, and Peter Sprigata. I don't even know if I got that right, Peter, but that's where I'm going with Sprigata, <laughs> Distinguished Engineer at Ansible by Red Hat. And Cisco is our Day 2 Cloud sponsor for this discussion of hybrid and multi-cloud automation. We got all the buzzwords, hybrid, multi-cloud, automation, booyah. There we go. So, uh, Carl, let's uh, jump into this conversation here. We want to do some level setting to get some context for the conversation, which is really going to be like some automation use case stuff about hybrid and multi-cloud. And part of that's around tooling. So we've got, uh, you're from Cisco and you deal with the network service orchestrator product. Uh, Peter's from Ansible Red Hat and has this uh, Ansible product here. What are we asking network service orchestrator and Ansible to be doing for us in these use cases that we're going to talk about? So here's 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 kind of the start of this conversation and why I wanted uh, uh, my friend Peter to come on here and also kind of help me out here with a, a full picture view, if you like, is that... Obviously, we've come across a lot of the same people, right? Um, especially in the enterprise uh, part of the world, right, where um, the applications are, are are the subscribers. That's what I usually say when I when I want to make fun of the SPs. Is that there's also a world of the applications are subscribers. Peter, of course, is is pretty much grown up in that space. So we we suddenly had kind of the same conversations, same people um, <clears throat> going after trying to actually have the network go lockstep with their application lifecycle. That's kind of when I reached out to Peter and we started talking about how would how how can we delight the application crowd by allowing the network to kind of arrive uh, at their doorstep because a lot of them actually has uh, Ansible not as a doorstop but as, as as the doorstep if you like um, so that's kind of how it got started and you know what we're we're gonna try and touch on a couple of use cases but the idea here too was that we wouldn't constrain their expressiveness with Ansible. Um, they would be allowed to, of course, do whatever they need, you know, in a multi-cloud or hybrid cloud environment, or for that matter, fully on-prem, but have the network actually try to serve them with things that they would appreciate, right? Some of them, or, or most of our joint uh, community or, or, or people that we both talk to, are curious to see what could networking do for me if I had the tools to actually reach into it. And, and, a, and a fax is not a tool, right? Or an Excel spreadsheet to poke holes in a in a VLAN, right, or a POCA VLAN in a top of Rackswitch, it's not a, it's not a tool, but actually comfortable software tool. So that's that's how all this conversation got started. That's how we actually got to build our first couple of modules uh, for Ansible that can talk through NSO to the network. So that's kind of the background, and that's that's the conversation we would like to have here. Okay, now you said something really important at the beginning of that uh, long answer. Rant. Long. It was so long, Carl. But the beginning of that, you said, <laughs> you said application lifecycle um, and, yes. and, and having the network uh, arrive. Or, or, you know, and what I was imagining was that what that means to me is as an application comes up, it's being spun up, maybe it's being spun up in the cloud, wherever it is, there is networking that is there ready for it in lockstep as part of that uh, lifecycle of that application. Is that what we're talking about? In the same language, see what I mean? Uh, not, not disjointedly calling out into systems that act or see the world differently, but actually using the same language to describe both, like you said, you know, uh, applications coming and going, and for that matter, being reconfigured or redeployed or moved or shifted or all these kinds of things. 
uh, being able to use the same language to tell the network what to do lockstep with that. So we don't have what most of the industry is still doing, kind of a pretty profound split brain syndrome, right? They actually have the same set of, if you like, life cycle aspects of what's important distributed among many systems. In this case, we wanted to focus this on something that a large part of our joint customer base really loves, which is Ansible. Right, so that you're 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 bang on target, and I'm trying to avoid another rant here, but, but <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way of saying it. But and, and and I just want to add to that here a little bit because you know I think there's a really really subtle point here, and that is you know you kind of think about how networks have grown up over time, and and obviously you know networking teams have uh, been siloed as as been you know most aspects of IT. You know we've kind of grown up in that way, and and we started to see all of these different teams to converge around the application, and now it's time for the network to converge within the application, and I think. You know, as we go through this discussion, and especially once we get into some of the use cases, it's going to be fun to get into to looking at you know how the fact that we haven't even really solved at scale a lot of these operational problems as it's related to automation and the network, but all of those problems that we haven't fixed in the in the physical infrastructure are going to follow us right into a hybrid and a multi-cloud world, and and so we're really kind of you know touch on that and 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 have some really good dialogue about you know how we can start to solve some of that, those problems. Now, Ned, I just got to throw this question at you. Um, um, the network and automation, it's one of these topics that networking has been so far behind the other disciplines in IT that networking's like, oh my gosh, we're still here? Does, do you find this shocking at this point that we even need to have this conversation? Well, I mean, it's not as far behind as storage. So you've got oh. back <laughs> <laughs> Shots across the bow. <laughs> uh, no, I mean... Networking is its own beast, and there was certainly a time as an IT ops person where if I wanted anything networking done, I had to put in a ticket. I had to walk downstairs and remind them about the ticket and then maybe bribe them with some beer or sausage to actually get you know the port punched through or the VLAN created or whatever it was. Uh, the idea and one of the alluring things about the cloud was I don't have to wait for that anymore. That friction has been removed. If I need to provision a network... I can do that, but it also needs to work within the confines of the larger enterprise. So I'm curious for, for, for Peter and Carl, who um, would be the consumer of the tool set that you're proposing? Would it be the IT ops person, the developer, or, uh, or the networking person, or a combination? Yes. Sweet. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> My work here is done. <laughs> he's rant avoiding again. He's just saying that to stop me short. <laughs> so, so here's, here's, I'm going to try to keep this short. Here's what we want to do. We really want a pretty crisp idea of roles and responsibilities. And we want to make sure that people behave uh, at their best in what they do. So obviously, not, not only because of my gigantic Cisco tattoo, but because of my general <laughs> love for networking people, um, I would love for this community to, again, focus on delighting um, the, uh, the application uh, uh, crowd, right? Right now, I mean, we're still reeling from that battle cry from, I, I guess, five, six years ago, the network is in my way, right? And it, mm -hmm. it was very true then. It's slightly less, but not entirely untrue um, now. But again, we want to make sure that the networking people do what they're good at, but not more, and that what they're good at is something that can be consumed more or less effortlessly by the people who run the show in the enterprise for sure, which is the application owner. So it's about helping the networking uh, industry right, to be better. 
to lower the barrier of entry for the value that actually exists, would you believe it, in the networking stack. And just the fact that you had to go and get beer and sausages to, to have the network do the most basic things is kind of depressing, right? Because again, well, this, this can be a little bit of a religious back and forth if you like, but there, there are some pretty interesting and valuable concepts in networking that can truly enrich um, the application lifecycle, would you believe it? I mean, security comes to mind, but there are other finer points to it. It's just that it hasn't been uh, in reach. So we're trying to be ergonomic and, and to delight the application owners from the kind of bottom-up view. If you want to hear it from a networking up view, that's what we're trying to do here. <laughs> right. Now, I, I'd be appreciate here some architecture here. So I heard you say earlier, Carl, that NSO and Ansible are working together. So which piece is doing what aspects talking to what clouds? Yeah, so let me get started on that. So, and I want to be careful, right? Both Peter and I have platforms on our hands. So people do the most insane things <laughs> with each of them. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about some, I guess, some, some statistical average on, on how we see this kind of developing. Um, NSO, when it's allowed to, represents a structured approach, a structured representation of networking. And I'm sure we'll say the word, I'll just proactively say the word, the word yang, right, as a, as a schema language, right? A way of expressing to someone who, is, who wants to consume networking um, in a structured fashion that can be translated into their, into their local language. Um, so whenever you need to have your packets traverse the infrastructure, uh, you need to do it through some sort of an API. The API can be either part of what the cloud provides, like in Amazon and, of course, all the, all the big ones, right? But when it comes to hybrid or multi, there's always going to be segments between them. And certainly if your version of hybrid has on-prem. And that's where the expressive idea of NSO as, again, as an API-driven way of telling the network what to do and when to do it uh, comes alive. And of course, having the life cycle of these assets then being driven by Ansible, I mean, that's, that's how it comes together. I don't know, Peter, maybe you want to put some, yeah. I, I do, and, and and before I kind of get into it, though, I, I also want to remind people, you know, when 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 Carl talks about Yang, we, we all know that you spell Yang Y A M L, right? So just so that we've got that, just so we've got that out there. Um, ah, that's new. Thank you. Awesome. So you know, I think that you know, but what's what's really you know, at top of mind, you know, as, as I'm out and I'm I'm talking with customers and we're you know looking at how you start to solve a lot of these operational problems. You know, Carl's spot on right from the aspect that you know NSO does a fantastic job representing the network, but the network is only one piece. Uh, there's a lot more to infrastructure than just simply networking, as much as most of us networking people don't want to believe that. Uh, there are things that go in and out. And, and you know, what really, by, by bringing these two platforms together and, and looking at a way to integrate them in a way that resonates with operations teams, what we've been able to accomplish with this is to create a commonality of language. And that really helps to start to tear down a lot of these silos. You know, right, Ned, to your point about having to go down and, and you know, bribe the networking team to, to get something done. You know, I can remember sitting on, on numerous calls, um, you know, with, with various facets of IT back when I actually run infrastructure. And, you know, one of the biggest problems we'd all have is just coming up with a common language, right? The, you got the, the systems or the, the server guy saying it's bonding and you got the networking guy saying it's port channel and neither side realizes they're talking about the same thing. Right? So just getting through some of those discussions becomes challenging. And in being able to create kind of this commonality of language, and that's really the, the uh, emphasis that Ansible brings to this, and then being able to reach out to 
all of those other systems and, and start to make sense of that and, and kind of tie the whole thing together with a, a nice little ribbon. And I'll just add to that is that, again, with the type of tooling that, that we provide here, right, again, it allows the networking people to focus on networking and actually open up the conversation right to Peter's point with people that want to consume the network. What is it that you need the network to do for you, right? You don't have to care too much about the actual implementation detail or either, uh, rather in, in some sort of hopefully not too distant future, let's stop talking about particularities of implementation and instead ask, talk about what is it that you need the network to do for you. And the networking team will then, of course, be, uh, be um, in charge of translating those higher level needs, right, into the specifics that are, uh, you know, unavoidably implementation specific. But having, you know, again, people that are curious to see or, or needs the network to do things for them, not care too much about the details and come again, like... <laughs> There's so many T-shirts here around this Yang and Yamble thing. That's, that's uh, uh, but having then, and I just want to point out also, because I'm like that, that Yang, of course, is a schema language and Yamble is an instance language. But having Yang validated Yamble uh, seems to delight people, of course, that have been trained on this. I fondly remember when, when I kind of threw some early ideas at Peter and I had uh, the, 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 the thought that we would use XPath uh, but, you know, and he, he carefully told me that unless you actually want to ship an expat to all of my Ansible users, I think you should avoid that and just go for YAML. And he, didn't, he didn't tell you that carefully, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> we weren't. <laughs> right, that's right. We, he, yeah, we, we were less shy at that point. Okay, so there's right. still a point of clarity here that I'm looking for. Now, NSO and Ansible are both platforms. They're both on some mm -hmm. level an abstraction of the infrastructure underneath. You speak to these tools they have modules or, or, or modeling, whatever it is, that abstracts away the details underneath so that I don't need to worry about those things. So to me, in a sense, although they, they specialize in different sorts of infrastructure, they're kind of equal players. So if I'm the infrastructure professional, am I using NSO or am I using Ansible or am I using both? How are they interacting here? Look, at the end of the day, right, Ansible and, and Ansible as a platform is really all about automating. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, when we talk about automation, you know, what we're really talking is about is we're, we're talking about doing something, right? It's the something is where this becomes really critical in this discussion. Because yes, Ansible has a tremendous amount of capability in terms of providing abstracted uh, modules that, that you can leverage within Ansible. The reality is, is that most of the Ansible contributor, contributor base are not network operators and experts in networking domain. In addition to that, right, there's always a need and a want to start thinking about what does the end-to-end -end network really look like? You know, being able to automate a device or even a couple of devices, yeah, you're going to get a little benefit there, but that's not really, I think, what we're talking about here. I think what we're really talking about is how can I start to lay down the entire blueprint of the network and what kind of an intelligent system can I bring that's going to provide Ansible with those inputs so that it can go off and, and perform those actions in the infrastructure. And enter stage left. And <laughs> <laughs> that was your cue. <laughs> just, just missed the cue. That's fantastic. Stumbling out on stage from stage left, somewhat dazed. I remember fondly having a forty-five minute conversation uh, uh, with a with a very passionate network engineer that had had a has a profound understanding of both NSO and Ansible. He kept coming back to like, "What do I pick? What do I pick?" And it took me all of 45 minutes to come back with a question that Peter front-loaded with because he's smarter than me like that, is <laughs> what is it that you want to do now? 
and where are you going with this, right? And the guy said, well, the immediate term needs that I have is that I have to roll SSH keys, right? We're going to do that, you know, uh, once a quarter. And I said, you know what? All that licensing money that you have, you know, for NSO and or Ansible, why don't you just buy beer and then I'll, I'll give you a bash <laughs> script for that. You know what I mean, but obviously he wanted to do more over time. So I think Peter's point is, is, is extremely interesting because like a, a, a short, <laughs> trying to say this without sounding that the per person who asked the question here is, is short on something, uh, is that there's a bigger context to why people ask, right? And teasing that out can be a little painful, to be honest, right? Some, in some occasions, it's just, I need to automate something today. Don't give me, you know, weird counter questions. But for most people that are somewhere, you know, in a more ambitious narrative or ambitious tangent here, thinking about, I mean, literally thinking about, if you like, an information architecture, what kind of data do you manage where? And, you know, without, I mean, if you squint really hard, yes, they look like the same, but they go about solving problems or challenges in the world in pretty profoundly different ways, right? Um, Ansible uh, does automation in one way and NSO does it in another way. And we happen to believe that in different parts of the stack, they, they fit perfectly, right? And the, the interaction between them uh, becomes very, very nice uh, compared to as if you try to force NSO to do application lifecycle management uh, or if you try to force um, Ansible to do, um, I don't know, service function chaining with full, you know, create, read, update, delete. Again, you can, you can force, and I'm sure we have zealots in both camps, if you like, because they're still a little campy uh, around the edges here, uh, that can force these softwares to do that. But if you actually want it um, to work well and scale and actually fit, then thinking about the interaction between them um, is probably key. And one of the more common patterns, I'm just going to cut to that chase, is to have, again, Ansible owning the uh, life cycle, if you like, the entire life cycle of the assets that for many enterprises matter, which are the applications, and then have NSO present the network in a way that it allows people with a single language to have the network follow. I mean, that's, that is the most common pattern. We have seen others, uh, for example, in the, in the mobility domain, that actually has NSO because they're networking centric, so they use NSO as the entry point, and and NSO kicks into Ansible for you know particularities around lifecycle management of of networking applications. But I think that the most common pattern here is to have Ansible own the the lifecycle of the applications and then call into NSO uh, to do its biddings for the networking part. Ansible sits at the top of the tree and uh, tells NSO what needs to happen, uh, and and lets NSO deal with the abstractions, just present a, a common interface to the network. Exactly. And, uh, and that's really important, a common interface that's you hopefully, you know, uh, depends on how far down the line the customer is. It's cross-domain. It's agnostic to the particularities of how, you know, the networking substrate, if you like, uh, performs its duties. But it actually uh, then just gives the Ansible playbook owner um, uh, a sufficiently granular, but not more, view on what the network can do. And that description of what the network can do, again, this is important, is owned by the networking team. So they can actually lifecycle that and they can learn from the application team. What else do you need the network to do? And actually provide updated, if you like, definitions of the services provided by the network. Oh, yeah, okay. So NSO sits back there and um, can be used by the networking people to give a presentation of Different options. Exactly. Here's some services that you can that I can offer you, and then Ansible 
uh, can talk to NSO and uh, call upon those and have them created in conjunction with the application getting stood up. That's, exactly. That's very that. useful to me. Uh, that that actually kind of shifted my mindset a little bit because when I think about how your con- one thing is consuming the other, now NSO in a certain regard is a provider and Ansible is consuming NSO as a service. That's right. So that, that's right. yeah, okay, that totally makes sense to me. I think what would be uh, additionally more useful is if we dived into one or two use cases uh, that you've seen in the field about actually, you know, using these two tool sets together to accomplish a, a goal. Sure. Do you want to start, Peter? Yeah, I can start. So, so you know, one one in particular use case that I happen to be thinking about right now. This happens to be a um, uh, happens to be a telco operator uh, in in the mobility space, and I'll just kind of leave it at that. Um, however, this particular operator was really looking at you know how they could lay down a VPN service, and initially they actually started with Ansible, um, and in really what their their idea was is, is that they would leverage Ansible as an automation platform and they would start to to build it up and they would define their their service as and, and VPN service as a um, uh, as a set of, of Ansible plugins through through YAML files. And it, it didn't take very long before frustration reigned pretty quickly because what they were finding is essentially they were from the ground floor up building what it would amounts to a lightweight orchestration system, right? For for their infrastructure. Um, so Enter, enter NSO, and, and they start looking at NSO and, and what NSO really can bring to this equation and its ability to help them define this end-to-end VPN service. And a couple of very interesting things came out of, of that. Um, you know, first and foremost is they were amazed at how quickly and easily they were able to put the two tools together. And, and that's kind of one of the subtle points uh, you know, about any tooling, right? Tooling is only as good as, as you can connect the pieces together. And, and putting the pieces together was, was almost an afterthought in this particular uh, infrastructure. But more importantly, and this is the kind of, the, I think, the maybe the most salient point of this, is that as we know, you know, kind of in this new world of tooling and APIs and networking, you know, one of the one of the constant fears that sits in most networking people's heads is this idea that, oh, I got to become a programmer, right? In fact, I got into networking because I didn't want to be a programmer, right, early in my career. And, you know, I think that what they're starting to realize is that when they leverage NSO as an ability and use NSO's ability to define their end-to-end service, what it gives them the ability to do is go back to being a network engineer, right? We can we can remove the burdens from them from from you know having to interface with devices and having to build up orchestration systems, and they can really kind of go back to doing what they really absolutely love, and that is engineering solutions, engineering services, and then making those services available to the rest of of the infrastructure uh, teams to consume. Now you know you describe this as a VPN uh, service. Can you? Mm-hmm drill into some of the parameters so that those of us who are trying to imagine building this service and what that would look like to Ansible consuming it, just put some specifics in there. Let me do a little bit of kind of bottom up first. So, because this is this is a really, really important. And I think actually part of networking's future lies in what you just asked here, Ethan. What is an actual, v, what is a VPN, right? If you've tried to ignore all the, what one of your colleagues would call the nerd knobs, what is it that it represents? Well, it's really hard to avoid three things. It probably needs a name. Everything in computer science needs some sort of a name, an identifier. So we need that. It needs endpoints, probably more than one, right? So we're going to have a set of endpoints that is bigger than one. And that usually represents some sort of an interface. So that's going to be in there. And then people take a, a, an inordinate amount of interest in either security policy or bandwidth. Um, I think those are things that you can't really avoid. But hey, Peter, you can, you'll do the details here. 
<laughs> so, 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 yeah, and and you know, I think that, um, you know, as they were looking at at, at putting this together, and, and you know, I do want to touch on. I'm going to do a little bit of a tangent, but I'm going to come back to the question because you know. We are also talking about cloud, and I want to I want to kind of bring that into this equation as well, because you know as we're looking at defining these these attributes of a VPN and being able to model them end to end, part of what this particular carrier needed the ability to do is they needed the ability to swap out both public and private infrastructure, depending on what the application was at the time of deployment, and that becomes extremely challenging when you're working with um, you know when, when you're when you're working with or defining you know set attributes for VPN, because as we know, depending on how I'm attaching where, the underlying you know, technical bits are gonna be a little bit different, right? If I'm connecting to a, a VPN that's gonna terminate on a VPC in AWS, that's vastly different than if I'm gonna term, terminate that you know, IPsec tunnel on you know, a firepower security device, right? These are, and, and being able to just deal with all of those individual problems and make those translations happen and do it in a seamless way was really kind of what their biggest challenge really was. And as they looked at doing this and, and being able to take advantage of what Ansible did in terms of giving them that commonality, and I keep coming back to this, this idea of, of you know, a commonality of language, right? It gave them an environment that they were very comfortable working in, but they were still able to describe that service that's coming over the top by describing it in NSO, and NSO is able to adapt then in this particular uh, application to being able to lay down that service without you know, having to necessarily hit what would be more traditional, you know, network infrastructure devices. Now, you're saying I don't have to care about um, you know, whether that service terminates in AWS or in Azure because I'm just calling on the service and letting the uh, NSO abstractions take care of the rest? That's correct. That's exactly mm. what we're saying in this particular case. I feel like that needs a lot of pre-configuration and, and policy definition ahead of time because obviously you need to establish what subscriptions or accounts you're working with in, in the various clouds and which ones are allowed to spin up this infrastructure and, and which ones aren't. Um, and so that, that would be one question is, what's, what's the lift here to get, to get it to the point mm -hmm. where you can easily provision something in AWS or Azure? And, and a secondary question, and this comes up a lot when you add abstractions to a tool to be an overlay to multiple clouds or multiple services is you lose what is unique to those clouds because you have to take whatever the least common denominator is across them. So I guess first question is, what's the, what's the load to get this all set up? And the second one is, did they lose anything unique to one of those clouds by going with this abstraction? You're, you're being so polite, Ned. How bad did we have to dumb it down? Did we dumb it down a lot? So, is it going to be terrible? I just don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the, the great part is, to, to, to your first question, you're absolutely right. Is, is there some kind of, of, of uplift to, get, to even get this thing off the ground? Absolutely. But that's why an automation platform exists. This, this is exactly what Ansible can bring to the equation from a platform perspective and, and have all of that ready to go and be able to institute ARBOC rules that says who can provision what, where, and, and consume how much, right? That's the whole purpose of having an automation platform to begin with. Um, I think to, to the second question then, and it, I completely just spaced what your second question was. <laughs> lowest, lowest common denominator. Lowest common denominator, thank you. So, so in, in, is that true? Sometimes. Can it be true? Yes. Does it have to be true? Absolutely not. And I think that you know one of the things that makes Ansible unique is the fact that it's an expressive language that is really kind of built on this massive plugin technology. So can I use a abstracted 
library or extracted module to do some of this? Absolutely. Do I have to? No, I can still flow through and still take advantage of key knobs, key widgets, key whatever for the platform that I'm deploying on and be able to configure those things, but still make it seamless to the, the consumer of the playbook itself. And I think that that's one of the real benefits of Ansible in this particular use case. Yeah, and if, if I may add, I mean, this is also a, a, a pretty common question. Again, think of the platform nature of both solutions, right? And the, the way I kind of turn questions like that around from, from concerned uh, customers is to say, look, you are actually in charge of the abstraction. So if you think the abstractions, you know, if, if you come up with abstractions that are not useful, just don't use them. Think of other ways of doing it, right? You don't have to be uh, that abstract, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, as any good system, um, NSO can, of course, be a very leaky creature, right? It can if you feel like it. And actually, a lot of our customers start out by actually literally exposing the raw you know, configuration parameters of all the participating devices. Uh, they start by that, right? Which, which can actually be a pretty clever approach. And then they build abstractions from that to avoid over-abstracting, right? But it does require, and this can be exciting for many people, uh, particularly as, as literally as part of their, um, their career path, if you like, or their, their, you know, building a knowledge, is to think about that. What is, what kind of abstractions, I mean, this is stuff that database people have been doing forever, like normalization and, and query optimization, all that kind of stuff. What, does, what is a, co a comfortable abstraction that doesn't lose expressiveness look like in my instance? Um, and, and that's a pretty exciting conversation to have, a pretty exciting journey to be on. And, and I guess, again, the short uh, uh, answer to like, uh, aren't we over-abstracting is, is simply, well, don't do that. Just don't do that. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, I love this discussion for so many reasons, you know, to echo what Carl is saying. And it's like, you know, I think if you look at where we're at today in, in kind of the journey of network operators, you know, I feel like we've really over-rotated towards data abstractions. I'm not saying that they don't serve a place and that they're not valuable, but they don't have to be the end-all, be-all solution. To Carl's point, it's, it's really just a matter of figure out what you need to do, own your end-to-end -end data model, and deploy it. If it's wrong, change it. It's okay. They're just bits, and and you know we can we can learn as we go and, and fix it as as we uh, you know learn to operate it better. And actually, that also brings out a, an even finer point. If you look at solutions like, for example, then like the combination of Ansible and so, how cheap is it to change the abstraction, right? And yeah. that's something we really try to pride ourselves with. Is that there's there's it's really really cheap to change things, right? <laughs> it's not very opinionated platforms, right? There, there's a backside to that, of course, as well. Because at times when you open up the box, you're, you're asking yourself, is this it, right? Is that all, all there was to it? Uh, but in general, ju just solutions that are too opinionated or too fixed in their ways, they literally fall apart when this conversation comes around. And that's why I, I giggle secretly when I see uh, competitors um, that are proud of their pre-integrated solution. And the first question that comes out of the customer's mouth is to say, we would love to do it this way. And I, I watch them just fall apart <laughs> in pain, right? Because I know it's going to take them a number of full release cycles to change to that little different you know, aspect that this customer needs in particular. And, and again, the combination of Ansible and NSO, and again, coming back to that Yang and YAML, a beautiful marriage <laughs> between them is that you know uh, we happen to use the opportunity to you know if you want to change the abstractions you literally change the yang model for the service and by doing that we have a contract like language that can be translated into uh, native native yaml for for ansible right so it's a, it's a really a, a low toil if you like change cycle as well and this uh, my friends is actually one of the 
probably Peter and I should be better at this, but um, this is probably something we should talk more about. What is the actual cost over time, right? As you change, because you will change. And how do you look for a cheap and efficient solutions that allow you to do that with the least friction possible? You keep talking about Yang and, the, and the, that model there that that represents, but that's not the first thing I think of when I think of uh, AWS or Azure networking, for example. I think of API calls that, um, gosh, uh, AWS changes things every day, is it? Every every week at least, <laughs> something changes. Yep. Um, yep. And they're not really living in the world of Yang, or, or, or are they? Ah, good one. Actually, uh, far into the belly of that beast, I'm sure there's a little bit of Yang. Uh, I'll just say this. Most people, and this is awesome, most people, um, uh, let, let's say in, in Peter's fan base, uh, <laughs> like his their YAML and their swagger. And would you believe it? There's, of course, tooling for that, right? So yes, we use Yang because it's, again, it, it's, it's in the current version of networking, that seems to be the one thing that we can agree on uh, is flexible and expressive enough uh, in the sense that we can also translate that into whatever domain wants to consume this. So there's, for example, a Yang to swagger translation, right? Which again is all in the same vein of doesn't really matter. You know, whatever language you need, we will arrive as that language. And that, you know, for, for large parts of the REST-based world, that swagger. Um, in Peter's world, of course, it's the YAML that construes the playbooks. And for us, it's it's more like it's tooling, right? So whatever language you need, we'll we'll translate into that. So so back to the use case then. So we've got an SP, we've got this uh, VPN service that we've created. Uh, so walk us through a consumption cycle. What does that actually look like? So so a consumption so there's and, and there's different consumption cycles. So I'm going to take you through actually two different ones because I think that uh, they, they both are unique in their own way. Um, the first one is is really would be considered a a B2B uh, VPN. So um, this is kind of more your traditional use case. This is kind of you know flows through from the old days of provisioning when we had you know great big OSS systems that modeled everything and and off we would go and and we would provision you know two to end end in links. So in this particular case, this is most of this is all flow through you know from these days. And it's going to come from even some higher order system beyond just simply these two tooling platforms. It's going to come from some you know internal customer portal, order of service, um, you know, input all the parameters and, and, and off we go. And we've got a, a B2B connection uh, that's now secure. The more interesting use case in, in, in that I think of, though, is, is really the, the private infrastructure to public cloud infrastructure one. And in these particular cases, because we have the ability now to really define these services holistically and be able to see them end to end and cross over some of these domains, we can now present them to the consumers as a catalog and allow those consumers to order them and have them provisioned directly. So in this particular use case, and I happen to know this particular uh, telco actually presents to their users some form of a catalog. And when they do, when they select these services, when they order these services, it's actually building for them a secure tunnel that is connecting from a private infrastructure data center over to a public infrastructure. And what's laying down the networking bits for that is all coming from NSO because it's already been predefined and the service has been articulated from end to end. And Ansible can just push that through NSO and go off and configure the network infrastructure. Yeah, there's there's a lot there. So I'm sitting thinking through all that in my mind. And, and so much of it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that initial investment of time that you put into NSO to create that service that you're presenting to Ansible. Once it's there and you've got that service catalog to call on, then... Excellent. You know, now, now it's an easy thing. And um, well, 
I say it's an easy thing. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. You're buying it. It's, it's easy to easy it. to consume. It's easy to consume. Um, yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. So let's jump into the next use case. Then I think is what we need to do um, and talk through. Well, I'm not sure what your what your next use case is. I'm hoping we can talk about multi cloud a bit. That would be uh, interesting because I think that that it's a kind of a natural transition. But yeah, uh, lead us on. What's what's our next use case we can discuss? Yeah, so let's let's get into a little bit of multi cloud because that is absolutely the, the next use case. And you know, I, I kind of started off our discussion today touching on this topic, and I want to kind of now I want to expand on it a little bit. You know, you think about running network infrastructure today. <clears throat> there's a, you know, there's an awful lot of work and an awful lot of, of organic knowledge that's been built about how a network runs. I mean, let's face it, most organizations' um, source of truth is in the head of that network engineer that's been there, right, for the last 15 years. Um, so, so there's a lot of tribal knowledge that exists in, in many organizations in terms of, of how the network is run, right? How this application fits and, and how we connect it. And if it goes down, he knows exactly or she knows exactly what needs to be done. Because we've never really embraced a tooling infrastructure to be able to operate those domains, as we start to transition into a multi-cloud environment, it becomes substantially harder to be able to figure out in the case of, of applications failing and in, in the case of things going down, right? What happened? How do I fix it? How do I lay down the network to to you know, bring that application back up? How do I do DR? How do I do backup, et cetera? I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So um, you know, organizations, certainly from an application, and then switching gears here, organizations from an application development side have started looking at you know, how they can achieve cost savings and looking at multi-cloud, and how do they start to leverage things like Kubernetes, OpenShift, you know, these types of platforms to be able to really realize the multi-cloud infrastructure. Well, wouldn't it be great if we could bring all of this tooling along with us? Because the reality is, is that application complexity isn't changing, right? Or it's certainly not getting any less complex. It's getting quite a bit more complex. And as these applications move off of private infrastructure and into the public infrastructure, um, a lot of their complexities are coming right along with it. And we need to be able to harvest all of that organic knowledge in terms of how we built out that infrastructure and how we laid down these services and be able to look at it, optimize it, and apply it to a multi-cloud environment. So one of the things that, that we're able to do, and, and I touched on this earlier about you know, being able to layer all these tools together, you know, NSO can continue to operate in a multi-cloud environment without any knowledge of the fact that it's operating in a multi-cloud environment because it's working through Ansible and Ansible's bringing that ability to coordinate and, and push out um, what needs to be done in each one of the different infrastructures. No, wait a minute. Wait, just very quickly. That sounds like actually yeah. a flip of what the context we were talking to before where it Ansible is. is calling on NSO. So we're going the other it way is. now? We're now we're going the other way. And this is the beauty of what we've designed and what Carl and I have spent a lot of time working on is the fact that we can go both ways with this. We talked in the first use case about Ansible kind of being the over-the-top play with NSO then taking the inputs and then going off and be able to lay down the network. Now we're talking about it from the other way around. Now we're talking about NSO making the calls into Ansible for the purposes of being able to lay down a application that's going to hit multiple clouds and still consume infrastructure. You're going to cause a singularity, man. It's, it's gonna... <laughs> <laughs> no, you're going to cause people to white. think, Peter. That's what you're going to do. You're going to cause oh, people to think. Oh, no, no, we can't have that. Oh. <laughs> so, but yes, it, it, it really is. It, it's an absolute mirror image or a flip of, of the first scenario that we talked about. But I think it really demonstrates how, you know, when you take two tools like this and you put them together and, and match them up in this way, 
you know, you now have this ability to allow you to scale an organization that might be trying to figure out how do I continue to operate in this new cloudy world? How do I take advantage of cloud technology? Knowing that I've got a massive investment in uh, people and, and in, in intellectual capital, right? In terms of how I op my, operate my infrastructure, we can now help bring that into the cloudy world and, and still uh, achieve all the great things that cloud promises. So, so in this scenario, um, NSO actually looks at Ansible and is able to stand up, uh, what exactly? Like for multi-cloud, one of the big needs is to make the network look uh, homogenous, to make it look like a single thing that you're consuming, because the networking right. particulars are very different in the, in the different public clouds. Or, well, they can also be very similar. It depends on what the context is and what kind of an object that you're talking about. So, so NSO goes to Ansible and lets Ansible become the abstraction layer, we're saying. Um, is it like a publication of a service yet again, or? So, so here's, here's the big difference, right? And, and I'm gonna try not to be too in the weeds of this. I mean, both Ansible and NSO uh, provides abstractions, right? It makes complicated things look slightly less complicated in a particular fashion, right? And the way you go and attack problems or challenges like this is that you try to, you actually classify what you need to do. So in terms of what NSO sees is, of course, what Ansible uh, provides, right? And one of the strengths, one of, the strengths of, of Ansible on top of its simplicity is that it's really, really good at, let's call it stepper, you know, Peter is going to be more poetic than I am here. Um, it provides application lifecycle, meaning that it's not, doesn't have to be very stateful, but it's pushed through a couple of steps, um, and there's no particular need for uh, transactions and other things like that. But it's easy to to express, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then for example, one of the things that it's really good at is is managing applications running on um, computes, right? So, whenever there's a need for standing that up, maybe in preparation for networking services, or maybe as a side of side effect of networking services, it's a pretty obvious choice then to use the abstraction provided by Ansible. Uh, through NSO. But that kind of builds on the fact that if what you believe is at the core, your core data structure, uh, is something that NSO expresses well, then that combination becomes uh, becomes really, really nice. But it, it, it goes all the way back to Peter's kind of first uh, comment to say, we have to actually understand what we're trying to solve or what the, what the effing problem is uh, before we start assigning roles and responsibilities here. In other words, if I'm going Ansible to NSO, there's reasons I want to go that direction, and there's reasons why I might want to flip it around and go the other way, uh, NSO consuming Ansible, if you will. Um, but the key is, as always, got to understand the problem very well to understand the appropriate yep. place. And That's Peter right. and I get to have that conversation with customers, helping them understand what they're trying to solve for. <laughs> and that's more, more uh, usual than, than perhaps what, what you might think. Having that conversation about what is, what, what is the exact problem that you're trying to go after. It doesn't have to be exact, but what's the rough outlines of the problem that you're going after? Uh, and get away from that squinting, kind of they look the same from a distance, um, yep. which is a little bit of more of a boring conversation. And, and really talk through what they're trying to solve for. I want to rotate my SSH keys. <laughs> bash, bash scripts, my friend. Bash and beer. Sausages, I hear, too, is, is, the, is the way for that. That holds the world together, didn't you know? Beer, sausages, and, and uh, bash scripts. There you know how the world works. <laughs> That's right. So, Peter, I'm just curious, as this relationship develops, as you're further merging what NSO and Ansible can do together, is there any you know new developments or 
things of interest that are getting added to one of them to help make them work in a more uh, synergistic manner? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, you know, we've um, one of the things that we've been pushed very hard on by our customers, our community, our partners, is more control over the actual bits within Ansible and, and what those bits are doing and being able to detach a little bit from the Ansible mainline. Uh, you know, for, for those maybe new to Ansible, they, they probably don't realize that for, you know, for a very long time, Ansible was, was really kind of developed as a large monolithic you know, community project, right? Everything came in Ansible. It was actually one of, <laughs> one of the big selling points of Ansible, the batteries included model. Um, but the batteries included model only scales to a point, and we kind of hit that scaling limit. So now as we start you know, evolving into a hybrid cloud and then ultimately into multi-cloud, and we've got networking, we've got storage, and we've got compute, we've got all of these components that are coming together, it has become really important for us to find new ways of, of getting those bits uh, into customers' hands and into operators' hands. Uh, we just recently you know, introduced um, a, a new technology that we call Collections that really does that. And what it does is it decouples all the bits from Ansible Core. So now mm. when Carl needs to sit down and think about NSO integration, he doesn't necessarily have to call me on the phone anymore and say, okay, here's what I'm thinking. How do I get this into Ansible? He can actually sit down and he can develop it in the way that is most optimal for NSO customers to be able to consume it and provide all of that now as a single self-contained package that is distributed uh, to the customer and they can begin to, to absorb it. That's interesting. That's a very similar journey that Terraform went in, went on like uh, back in version 0.10, they removed all of the provider plugins from the main mm -hmm. executable and just made them separate plugins that you had to pull in when you needed them. So is there a similar model for how you would consume an Ansible collection from the, the mainline executable? Yeah, there, there is. And, and so we've also, in addition to a lot of the collection technology, there's been a, a fairly substantial investment in, in building out a more robust uh, way to integrate or, or, or attach, shall I say, um, you know, collections that are being written by partners by the community to ultimately to customers. It's something um, you know, that, that we call Automation Hub, and that's you know, kind of on its way rolling out right now. Um, but you know, this, is, this was a really key piece because you know, for so long, many developers felt like their hands were tied because they had to kind of do it the Ansible way in order to get their bits into Ansible. And this kind of removes those shackles and it really allows developers to explore, you know, going back to what we've been talking about all day, right? Solve the problem that needs to be solved. And now we can solve those problems or developers can solve those problems by writing the bits that need to be written to ultimately, uh, you know, deploy in their infrastructure. And as a, as a guy who has a small team of people that have felt that their hands are tied, I, you know, this is a pretty big thing for us uh, because as much as we love being actually served by some really good people from the Ansible core team, right, because they had to manage all of this, not only us, but hundreds of other modules, mm -hmm. being able to actually go at the speed that we need and the speed that our customers expect in terms of the modules. But at the same time, and I'm sure Peter will get to that at some point, being able to also uh, support this together. So of course, um, for those of you who went to Ansible Fest know that Cisco stepped up and uh, was one of the first uh, certified uh, collections. So we're trying to go at the speed that the customers need, but with this, with this support uh, that they also require. So it, it's a pretty exciting and, and big thing for us. And again, the fact that the way we go about this is a little different than many other modules. You know, Many other modules, not only in networking, but in general, are very specific or have a, a worldview, a data structure, if you like, that are fixed by the module owner, right? Most of the vendors that you see, for example, in the networking space, have a particular way 
of changing the IP address, right? The way we've built this combined solution between Peter and I with NSO is that we've kind of teased apart, uh, for those of you with an HTTP background will get this, right? We've teased apart the verbs and the data structure. <laughs> and so the important thing to understand here is that NSO, NSO's way of actually uh, representing the network is as one big giant data tree, right? A big data tree that represents both a list of the devices that you have in the network and their configuration, and also a list of the services that you have in your network and the way they're configured. And by having a very limited set of modules, actually one for each verb, you can then arbitrarily change those data structures, and NSO will take those data structure changes and translate that into ordered sequence of operations or commands into the network. And as you, for example, introduce a new vendor, or for that matter, as you bring out a new version of a service, you don't actually change the modules themselves. You have to change the playbook content because the paths into these new, new, new things coming into the network might differ. But this opens up for a whole slew of really cool tooling um, that we're building around these modules, right? So for example, since, since NSO is stateful, meaning that you can always query NSO for, for example, the configuration of each device that you have or for the L3 VPNs that you have, and we send that back in a, in, a, in a structured format, in this case it's JSON, we can actually translate that into YAML. So uh, actually Ansible can, can query the network and get back a structured representation of what the network is doing that is completely transparent, i.e. you can put that back into a, to a playbook, right? And the tooling around that, which is kind of going towards a common goal between me and Peter, is that the amount of YAML that you handwrite should be minimal, should be absolutely minimal. If the network can tell you uh, how to express the constructs that you need, you should just take that and never be bothered with white space again, right? So mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a pretty big thing, the tooling around that. Yeah. Not even start talking about white space. And <laughs> uh, I knew it. But I, knew it. I, I do love the idea of being able to query something for stateful and current data, use it as a data source and yes. have that be your source of truth for that mm -hmm. thing um, and know that it's at least fairly up to date and correct. That, that that works well for me. I yeah, like that. I mean, you could you don't need need uh, me nor Peter to then have you think about uh, auto-generated roles and things like that, right? So mm -hmm. there's a lot of cool, good stuff down that path. Right, and you mentioned certified collections, so I assume yep. there's going to be some designation between certified and uncertified collections and yep. a process that you have to go through. What what is that process to be certified? There there absolutely is. Um, we do we do delineate between the two and. Um, you know, we've we've invested a fair amount in in putting a structure of a program in place so that when when organizations are taking in this new collection technology, um, you know, they they have a kind of a, a rubber stamp or a gold stamp that says not only is Red Hat standing behind these collections, but Cisco standing behind them as well. And you know, they've been tested, they've been validated, they've been certified, so that there's a very high degree or high sense of that this should work. And if it doesn't work, there's a place that they can call, and it doesn't matter which side they call. We're both we're, we're both in the we're both in the, the hopper together here. Oh, <laughs> that, wow. that is pretty profound. That's pretty unique, right? Because you can also think of the fact that we have customers that do rely or lean, if you like, quite heavily on this. And if any part of it breaks, they want uh, you know a, a, a virtual single uh, neck to choke here, and we're, we're we're literally backing that up from both sides. 
Oh, hand to shake. Uh, you know, yep. one hand to shake. <laughs> okay. okay. Congratulations. <laughs> one fist to bump. One hand to five to give. One, hand to one bump. fist to bump. I like that. Positive, there you go. <laughs> right. So uh, I, I think uh, as we sort of wrap up the conversation, one of the things I really like to end on uh, with Day 2 Cloud is three key takeaways for the listener out there. So as they're parking their car and ending their commute or finishing their run, what are three key takeaways or action items they should have after listening to this episode? Do we get three each? Three each? That, no, no, we, no. Uh, <laughs> six, we have to fight each other. I didn't make that clear. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll go with one first, right? Assume a future when your network is fully programmable, you know, when your network is actually consumed through an API. And think of what that means for the way you operate things and what you connect to. That's just, that's just a big thing. I don't know if, if you would call that a takeaway, but that's literally what we're trying to prove can be the case now. And the effects of that is usually profound in the way, not only you know, the, the tech stack, but how people organize themselves and how they think of the assets that they have. Is that, maybe that's too vague. I don't know, you tell me. No, I, I like it. Be prepared. We're gonna be pro programmable all the way. All yes. the way, all the way. Um, yeah, I think that the second one, and, and we've touched on this multiple times, but I'll reiterate it one more time, right? Know your use case, pay attention to what it is you're trying to solve, and don't, for heaven's sakes, don't get paralyzed as you start thinking about data models. The reality is, is that when it comes to operating infrastructure, we have to keep moving forward. And, and so many organizations I talk to have just become paralyzed by this idea that they've got to figure out the perfect data model, the perfect right. abstraction. We can fix these things as we go. Just get started down the road. Oh, I like that. Just, just do it. Just do it. Just start. <laughs> just start. Just start. Exactly. <laughs> All right. We got one more. Carl, Peter. Okay. So, okay. I'll do one more. I'll do one more. Okay. So, okay. And, and okay. So, so maybe it's, it's really hard because it becomes almost like uh, they're two <laughs> pretty broad ones. So it's hard not to. You can't do the whole podcast over again, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just go back to where we were 40 minutes ago? No, but I guess um, the whole life cycle, it is a little bit of a take on what Peter said, right? Just like you build software, you have a developer cycle, you have a test cycle, and you have a production cycle, right? So the way you consume or think about the networking services or services that are associated with networking and how that affects your, your applications, think of that cycle, right? Um, it is a riff off of what Peter said, right? You're going to plan to throw one away. All that, all that software stuff is going to be very applicable to, it, to the way you do this. But don't be afraid of actually um, taking that journey on, right? Because again, the, the life cycle is cheaper than you think. Um, and I guess also try to break out of that maintenance window because that's one thing that's going to hold you back. Uh, yep. probably, the, probably the worst. Awesome. Thank you. So guys, I think that brings us naturally to a place where we can end the podcast here. Now, I know if you're listening to the show and you're curious to understand more about Cisco and Ansible and the integrations that have been talked about on the show and how to take advantage of them, we're going to have some URLs that we will publish in the show notes, which you'll be able to find at packetpushers.net. Look for this day two cloud episode on automating hybrid and multi-cloud. And, uh, and then you'll be able to dig in a little bit further from there. Now, uh, Carl and uh, Peter, you guys, uh, social, Peter, starting with you, do you happen to be on Twitter or LinkedIn, somewhere where <laughs> people can get in touch with you if they'd like to ask you something? I, absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at private IP. Really easy one to remember. Private IP? How did you get that one? That's a good one. <laughs> I've, had, I've had that handle for quite a while. 
yeah, well done. Private okay. IP. Private IP on Twitter. And then uh, Carl Moberg. Yeah, the uh, much cooler name, of course. I'm at C Moberg. How about that? <laughs> so Just cool. takes it, doesn't it? Yeah. So, so cool. cool. Yeah. So, there you go. and if you're listening again, if you do tweet those guys, you, you actually will get an answer at some point. So uh, right. my thanks to both you, Carl and Peter, for appearing on Day 2 Cloud and to, to Cisco for sponsoring us today. And uh, if you're still listening, virtual high fives to you, dear listener, for tuning in. And uh, if you're out there and you have suggestions for future shows, things you want us to talk about, we would love to hear those. You can hit up uh, me on Twitter at EC Banks or Ned is Ned1313. And Ned's even got a fancy form, so fancy Ned, a nedinthecloud.com, a form you can fill out there to let us know more show ideas for Day 2 Cloud. And we have even more entertaining and educational content over on the Packet Pushers uh, podcast network website, packetpushers.net. Click through to the subscribe page. You can find all of our different podcasts there or just search for Packet Pushers in your podcatcher. And hey, if you didn't know, we have a weekly newsletter on Packet Pushers, Human Infrastructure Magazine. Him is loaded with the very best stuff that we find on the internet, our own feature articles and commentary. It's free. Go get it, packetpushers.net slash newsletter. And until then, just remember that cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. 